Now is not the time for the church to shrink back. Now is not the time for us to play it safe. Now is not the time for us to wish that we were living in a different period of history or to become comfortable or content. No, now is the time for us to rally around the mission of God like never before. Now is the time for us to join in the unstoppable momentum that has brought us here so that we can change the world for the sake of Jesus. First Church, this is our moment. And I don't know about you, but I'm excited to see what God is going to do in and through us. Hey, what's going on, First Church? So good to see you guys. Those of you who are here in person, also welcome in our online family. We are glad that you are worshiping with us here today. And if you're new, my name's Chad, and you picked an awesome Sunday to be with us because we are in week two of our Momentum series. And in this series, Momentum, we are looking at everything that God has done in our past, the past year. We're celebrating it, but also we are rallying around His vision for our future. And so if you missed last Sunday, you can go to firstchurchok.com forward slash momentum. You can watch our vision video, get caught up on everything that's going on. And because this series is so special, we prepared a little booklet that you can bring back with you every single weekend and follow along in the series. And there's also small group guides and all sorts of good stuff in it. And so we've got volunteers that are ready to pass those out right now. If you were not here last weekend or you didn't get a booklet, would you just put your hand up in the air and a volunteer will bring you one. And by the way, I may have put a $20 bill in one of those booklets. So you might want to get one for sure. No, I'm kidding. I didn't, but there's still really good stuff in that booklet. So make sure that you get one. And one thing that is in that booklet is a commitment card. And we don't want you to do anything with that commitment card today. We are going to have a commitment Sunday coming at the end of this series. And so on commitment Sunday, we'll talk about that more. But right now, just be praying over it, looking at it, thinking about it, talking about it with your family. But we don't want you to do anything with that today. Also, if you're worshiping online with us, we don't want to leave you out either. And so we would love for you to be able to download a digital copy of this book. And so if you scan the QR code that's on the screen, or if you text book to 918-300-3977, you can download a digital copy of this Momentum booklet. Like I said, we would love for you to get a copy as well. And speaking of our online family, I've already said hello to them, but I looked earlier and we've got Mike and Leonard and Cherokee and Kayla and a bunch of, ho- uh, bunch of other people worshiping with us online. So if you are here on site, would you put your hands together, get loud, Welcome in our online family. All right, well, let's get started here in week two. I don't know what comes to mind when you think of the church. And if you're new here, maybe what comes to mind is a tradition or a club or a clique, because that's what you've been used to when it comes to the church. Maybe some people in this room or watching online think of just an entertainment venue. It's another way to be entertained, but that's not how we see the church here at First Church. As we read through Scripture, what we discover is this, is that the church is Jesus' chosen instrument to transform and change the world. See, we are here at this moment in history to make a difference in the world around us. That's what we believe. And you may have heard me say before, when the world is at its worst, it needs the church at its best. 
Because the light shines the brightest in the midst of the darkness. And I know we're living in a day and age when there's a whole lot of darkness. I mean, the economy is uncertain, and we hear about natural disasters, and the political stuff is all crazy. And I know when it comes to social stuff, people are concerned and worried. I mean, there are a whole lot of issues in our world today. And you just turn on the news, and you get discouraged. But that's why we're here. We're here to give people hope, hope in Jesus Christ in the midst of their hopelessness. Now is not the time for us to hit pause. Now is not the time for us to go into hiding. Now is not the time for us to just hit cruise control or to coast. We are here for a reason. God has placed his church here to transform and change the world around us with the good news of Jesus Christ. And that's why a year or so ago, we launched an initiative called Unstoppable. Because we rallied around this verse when Jesus says in Matthew chapter 16, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. See, we really studied this verse a lot and we based our entire series on it because we know that no matter what is going on in the world around us, all the powers of hell, all the powers of darkness cannot stop the church that is built by Jesus, the church that is led by him, the church that he is the head of. And that's why in November of 2021, with all the craziness that was going on in our culture, we didn't hit pause. We hit play because we wanted to listen to Jesus and do what he wanted us to do. And I believe over the past year, God's gracious hand has been upon us. I mean, we're seeing more and more people come to know Jesus, and we see lives changed through the ministry of First Church on a regular basis. We see homes restored. We see marriages and families put back together. We are being given more and more opportunities to reach out to those in need throughout the 918 and beyond. We are expanding our support of global mission work. It is just crazy seeing all the incredible stuff that God is doing in our midst. And not only that, we're seeing record attendance numbers here at First Church right now, not just overall, but especially in our next-gen ministries. We're seeing more and more students and kids and little ones come and hear about the good news of Jesus Christ. And that's one reason and why we are building a new First Kids facility. That's what all that construction work is out there. If you're new, we're building a new First Kids facility because we're running out of space and this is a need that we have. And we're not just building a building. This is a resource to reach the next generation because we believe the way that we're gonna change culture is by investing in the next generation so that when a new generation rises up who is focused on Jesus, they will change the world around them. We believe in investing in the next generation and God has just continued to give us more and more opportunities to serve him and we were given an opportunity that we announced last Sunday one of the local news stations TV stations our local NBC affiliate contacted us and they wanted for us to have their 1030 time slot on Sunday mornings their prime religious time slot which has the potential of reaching 30 thousand households they offered that spot to us yeah you can clap for that and so as of today on channel 2 10:30 set your DVRs we have we now have a 30 minute time slot I may have said 30 seconds a second ago but 30 minute time slot and so it's an abbreviated service but it still is an opportunity for us to reach more and more people for the sake of Jesus God is doing some great stuff in our midst but 
just because we've had success in the past and just because we've been faithful in the past, that's not a guarantee for success in the future. The choice is ours whether or not we want to keep this kingdom momentum going. Because Paul warns us in 1 Thessalonians, he says, do not put out the Spirit's fire. In other words, when God is working, don't stand in his way. When God's Spirit is moving, don't try to stop God's Spirit. In other words, if God has orchestrated all this momentum to get you here, don't try to stop it. Don't try to hinder it. Don't try to stall it. Don't do anything that gets in his way, but instead submit yourself to him so that he can use you to continue to build upon the momentum that has brought you to this point. Because when things are going well, that's when Satan likes to attack. And that's the whole point of this momentum series. We know that a year into this, it would be easy for us to hit pause because we've reached so far all of our tangible financial goals and we're seeing more and more ministry take place and things are good, but when things are going well, that's when we start to slow down if we're not careful. And we don't want for the momentum, the kingdom momentum that has brought us here to die because Satan will try everything he can to stop what we're doing because he knows how important the church is to God's mission. He knows how important you are to God's mission. And so he will start to try to attack us from the outside. But when outside threats and persecution, when that doesn't work, you know what he does next? He tries to work from within. And in my experience, the biggest threat to the church's mission doesn't come from the outside, but from within. I love the fall season, and one of the reasons why I love fall is because of football. Any football fans out there? Let me hear you. Football fans? Yeah, that's what I thought. This is Oklahoma. Now, come on. You guys awake or what? Any football fans out there? Ah, there we go. That's better. Good. Make sure you guys are with me. Okay, cool. Yeah, I love college football. I love NFL, and I catch games whenever I possibly can, even if I'm not even rooting for those teams. And the other day, I was watching uh, the Dolphins. It was actually, I recorded it, but I was watching the Dolphins uh, play the Bills, and it was a crazy, crazy ending. And if you watch this game, you know how it ended. I see some people laughing right now because you know how it ended. The Dolphins were trying to punt the ball out of their on end zone and take a look at what happened. Then it gives you some room to kick. They're out of timeouts, but then a field goal beats you. I don't know, this is this is risky. And it is oh my goodness, blocked indeed. And we just told you he's only had one blocked in 14 years. That last clip was the best, wasn't it? That last angle, it was awesome. And I love what the commentator said. Talk about getting kicked in the you-know-what. Yeah, that's great. But have you ever heard the saying, they can't get out of their own way? Ever heard that before? I think that's what happened there. Their own team worked against them. But also that happens in life as well. Sometimes personally, we can't get out of our own way. Sometimes the reason why we're not living the life that God wants us to live is because of our own pride. 
or selfishness. Maybe because we have our own personal agendas that go against God's will for our lives. Sometimes we can't get out of our own way, and it's the battles within that keep us from being who God wants us to be. And that's true for the church as well. See, in my experience, outside persecution can't stop the church. If you look across the globe right now, do you know where Christianity is growing the fastest? In the areas of our world where they are experiencing physical outside persecution. The gates of hell cannot stop the church, okay? Outside persecution has never, never been able to stop the church. But let me tell you something that can stop the church. When we lose focus, when we get distracted, when we become selfish, when we get in our own way. And this happens especially when things are going well. Because we open the door for Satan to work. And when things are going well, that's when Satan really goes to work. Because like I said, he believes in the mission of the church in the sense that he knows it's part of God's eternal plan to save the world. And when he sees things going well among the people of God, he attacks the people of God. Because he wants to do everything he possibly can to stop it. And our enemy, he is fully content, perfectly content, having us do his work for him. That's what happened in Acts chapter five. If you have your Bibles, we're studying the book of Acts in this series, Momentum, because it's an early history of the church. It's the history of the very first Christians. And we've been studying it uh, for the past couple weeks. We studied it a year ago when we launched Unstoppable because we want to learn from their example, the example that we find in scripture of the church. And so we're gonna get to Acts chapter five here in just a second. But what you need to know is up until this point, the church has been growing exponentially. Up to this point, the church has been expanding and it's been growing by leaps and bounds. And we get this little phrase in Acts 2, verse 47. It says, the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. So daily, more and more people are coming to know Jesus as Lord. More and more people are becoming part of the church. Acts chapter four tells us this. It says, they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. All the believers were one in heart and mind. Do you see a key word here? All, all, all were filled with the Holy Spirit. All spoke the word of God. They were living on mission and all were united together. They were one in heart. They were one in mind. I mean, this is a beautiful picture of the church in action, doing what it's supposed to do. And that's the state of the church through Acts chapter four. But then we get to Acts chapter five. And we're introduced to this couple, this married couple, who are members of the church in Jerusalem, and their names, Ananias and Sapphira. And this is how their story starts. It says, but there was a certain man named Ananias who with his wife, Sapphira, sold some property. He brought part of the money, part of the money they got for the land, to the apostles, to the church's leadership, claiming it was the full amount. With his wife's consent, he kept the rest for himself and didn't tell anybody else the truth. Now, we need to understand what's going on here. See, in these early days of the church, the Christians are so sold out to the mission of Jesus, 
they start to sell some of their possessions in order to further the kingdom momentum, to keep the kingdom momentum going. And so Acts chapter four tells us that there were some Christians in the early church who started to sell land and different things that they had in order to give it to the church, to keep the church's mission going and keep it going at a rapid pace as well. And we get one specific example of this in Acts chapter four, a guy named Joseph, he was also called Barnabas. This is what it says about him. It says, for instance, there was Joseph, the one the apostles nicknamed Barnabas, which means son of encouragement. I mean, he was just an encouraging guy. So much so the apostles, the church's leadership, gave him the nickname son of encouragement. How cool is that? But then it says, he sold the field he owned and brought the money to the apostles. Now here's the thing. Nobody is telling the early Christians to do this. Nobody is commanding guys like Barnabas to do this. They're doing it out of their own free will because they love God, they love Jesus, they love his mission, his spirit is in them, and they are doing it because they want to. Nobody is telling them to do this. They're not doing it for attention or anything like that. So Barnabas sells this big piece of land and gives all the money to the church. And here's what happens. People hear about it, and Barnabas gets some attention for doing this. Now, Barnabas didn't do this to get attention, but he gets some attention for doing this. And this couple, Ananias and Sapphira in the church, they see this. They notice it. And they think, we want to be noticed too. I mean, Barnabas got his name in the Bible, in the book of Acts. We want to get our name in the book of Acts too. And they do, but for all the wrong reasons. See, Ananias and Sapphira, what they do is they go sell a piece of property and they give part of the money to the church, but claim that they're giving all the money from the sale to the church. Now here's the thing, nobody told them they had to do this. This was their choice to sell the land. And they could have given part of the money to the church and just said that, hey, we sold a piece of land, we're gonna give some of the money from the sale to the church. And that would have been fine. And they probably would have got some attention for that, but that wasn't enough. They wanted to one-up Barnabas. So they wanted to get all this attention, and they lied about what they did. And here's the thing. What we discover is that a good deed doesn't excuse bad motives, bad intentions. See, I think sometimes we get so caught up in ourselves that we miss God's bigger picture for our lives and his bigger picture for the church. And we miss what we're really supposed to be all about. See, Ananias and Sapphira, they wanted to be noticed. And because that was their end game, because that was their goal, they were blind to what they were currently doing. The Bible teaches us that motivation matters. Motivation matters to God. And that's why we get scriptures like this where it says, man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Because you may fool everybody else by doing good deeds here and there, but God knows your heart. God knows what's really going on on the inside, and you're not going to fool him. 
And Ananias and Sapphira may have thought they were fooling everybody else. I mean, can't you just hear Ananias and Sapphira? Now, they were probably the typical humble braggers. You guys know what a humble brag is, you know? When you're trying to act humble, but you also want to brag on yourself just a little bit. It's kind of like that guy that you work with. It's like, oh, I can't believe that I got the Employee of the Month award. I mean, there are a lot of other people that are more deserving than me. Even though my numbers are this good, and I've done this, and I've accomplished this, and I've done that. But still, there are other people that could have got that award, you know? And that plaque that they gave me, it's so big, I don't even have enough room in my office to put it up anyway. I just don't know what I'm gonna do. It's a humble bragger. You know, they're trying to sound humble, but really they want you to know something about them. Sometimes that happens in church. You ever been part of a small group and you have prayer time? You got a humble bragger during the prayer time? You know, you guys are laughing because you know what I'm talking about. Somebody will say, you know, I just, I, I need prayer. I really do because I just got this new job and I'm making all this money now that we didn't have before. And, you know, there's just, with all this new responsibility and money, uh, you know, comes all these other pressures. And, you know, we're thinking about buying a new house. And that's going to be so hard on us to have to move. And, you know, we just bought this new car and we're not used to making the payments. And we can make the payments, but still, that's a whole lot of money. And so just please pray for our families. We're under all this pressure. You guys know what I'm talking about? Now, I'm not trying to judge anybody, but you may think that you're getting by with a humble brag. Everybody else knows what's really going on, okay? Just public service announcement, we do. And I can just hear Ananias and Sapphira, oh, please pray for us because we sold this piece of property and it was a real sacrifice and so we're gonna be struggling over the next little bit because we sold this land. We needed this land, but we believe in the mission of the church. So please, please keep us in your prayers. Pray for us. Keep us on the prayer chain. I mean, we need your help right now because we made this huge sacrifice. Humble brag. And here's the thing. They even lied about it. It's not just that they did it, but they lied about it saying that they gave all the money and they just gave part of it. Why? Because they were all about themselves. And here's the thing. If your values are misguided, then your victories will be meaningless. If your values are misguided, in other words, if the goal of what you're trying to achieve is out of line with what God wants for your life, then the victory that you receive from that goal that you're trying to achieve, it may happen, but it's not gonna last. And it's not going to give you what you're ultimately looking for. Let's read and see what happens to Ananias and Sapphira. We're just gonna read to the end of this passage here. Then Peter said, Ananias, because Ananias shows back up where the church is meeting. Ananias, why have you let Satan fill your heart? You lied to the Holy Spirit and you kept some of the money for yourself. The property was yours to sell or not sell. Nobody forced you to do this as you wished. And after selling it, the money was also yours to give away. In other words, you'd have to say it was the whole amount. You could have just given us part. Nobody asked you to do this. It's all on your own, reading on. How could you do a thing like this? You weren't lying to us, but to God. As soon as Ananias heard these words, he fell to the floor and died. Everyone who heard about it was terrified. I bet they were. Read on. Then some young men got up, wrapped him in a sheet, and took him out and buried him. About three hours later, his wife came in. Not knowing what had happened, Peter asked her, Was this the price you and your husband received for your land? Yes, she replied. That was the price. And Peter said, how could the two of you even think of conspiring to test the spirit of the Lord like this? The young men who buried your husband are just outside the door, and they will carry you out too. 
instantly she fell to the floor and died. When the young men came in and saw that she was dead, they carried her out and buried her beside her husband. Great fear gripped the entire church and everyone else who heard what had happened. Hashtag yikes. You know, I mean, this is an odd text, isn't it? A little bit of a scary text. This text makes some people feel really, really uncomfortable. I mean, what's going on here? Can you imagine if you were in this situation? All of a sudden, people start dropping dead in church because they lied about their giving. I bet the next Sunday, for those who actually showed up, everybody was tithing. I guarantee it. This was a huge wake-up call. So what's this all about, really? Is it about giving? Well, before we talk about what it's truly about, I want to clarify something. I want to tell you what this passage is not about, and I do not believe that this passage is primarily about giving. Now, I know some preachers preach on this passage, and they use that theme, and they make it all about giving, and they kind of use it as a scare tactic to get you to give more. I'm not going to do that, because I don't think that's the point of this passage. And I'm sorry if that's how you were presented this text in the past, because here's the thing. Giving isn't generosity when it's forced. When it's forced, it's obligation. And God doesn't want forced thing. He wants it to be a choice that you make because you love him. That's what he wants from you. So if you've been, if you've seen this text used as a scare tactic in the past, I'm sorry, that's not what I'm gonna do because Acts chapter five, it is not primarily about giving, but instead it's about motivation. Remember what I said a second ago, motivation matters. Motivation matters to God because God knows nothing can stall kingdom momentum like selfish motives. Nothing can keep the church from doing what it is called to do by God like our own selfish motives. And when we read a passage like this, what we tend to do is focus on the punishment part. Like Ananias and Sapphira dropped dead? That's crazy. I mean, does the punishment really fit the crime? I mean, why would God do something like this? And we focus on the punishment, but I think instead what we should be focusing on is the protection of the church because that's why God does what he does here. The church is growing by leaps and bounds. People are coming to know Jesus by the thousands. The church is changing the world because the world desperately needs to be changed. And so what God here is doing is he is protecting the momentum of his church because he knows how bad the world needs the church. And he's not going to let the evil motives of a few people within his church stop the church from doing what he is calling it to do because he knows how bad the world needs the ministry of his people, how bad the world needs the good news of Jesus Christ. God is protecting what the church is doing. And it's funny to me because sometimes you'll hear people pray, God, we want you to move in the church today, like you did back in the early days of the church, back in the Bible. Do we really want God to move today like he did in Acts chapter five? I heard some strong no's there. You guys are awake, all right, awesome. No, we don't want anybody to start dropping dead. But it is a wake-up call for how important the mission of the church really is to our God. Because here's the thing, God's going to continue to elevate his church. 
The church is essential to God's plan to redeem the world. He's going to continue to elevate his church. But sometimes before he can elevate the church, he's gotta do some excavation. Sometimes he's gotta make sure that the foundation is right because if the foundation is wrong or the foundation is shaky, then he can't build upon it. These are the earliest days of the church here. The church is just getting off the ground and already there's some foundation issues. God's gotta take care of the foundation issues before he can build it on up because God knows how important it is for the church to continue to be elevated, for the church to continue to be built up. And that line, great fear, gripped the whole church. I bet it did. And we will see what happens as a result of that because the church continues to grow from this point on. Now, remember, the church had been experiencing persecution outside threats, outside persecution. And do you remember how the leadership of the church responded when they received that outside persecution? We cannot stop speaking about what we have seen and heard. Unstoppable. They were unfazed by the outside persecution, even though their very lives were being threatened. They kept going. But now, look at what Peter says to Ananias. Ananias, why have you let Satan fill your heart? You're doing Satan's bidding. Outside persecution couldn't stop us, but now you've led him inside? How could you let Satan fill your heart? I want you to notice whose choice it was. It wasn't that Satan overtook Ananias without his, without his knowledge. You let Satan fill your heart. You opened the door to him. And I bet Ananias and Sapphira did not wake up one morning and say, you know what? We're going to work for Satan today. I guarantee that didn't happen. They didn't get out of bed one day and say, you know, today's the day. We're on Satan's team. I guarantee that didn't happen. But what happened was one day they gave Satan a little bit of room in their hearts. And once you let Satan in the door, he takes more space up and more space and more space and more space to where pretty soon you're now blind to the fact that he is calling the shots in your life. You're following him and not following Jesus anymore. You see, every public decision we make contains multiple little decisions that aren't visible to others. We get the final public decision here of them lying to the church. But what we don't see are all the little decisions they made, the chain of events that led them to this point. And I think it's important for us to make sure that we're focused on what we need to be focused on and we're being led by who we need to be led by because we can end up having the wrong goal altogether and we end up achieving that goal, but we miss what God really wants for our lives. I've mentioned before that I coach my kids' soccer teams. I love talking about coaching kids because they teach me so much, really, they do. And it's a lot of fun. You get a lot of life experience coaching little kids. And my son, Alex, I've been coaching him for years now. I started coaching him when he was little. By the way, his team that I'm currently coaching, they won their tournament this weekend, so that was awesome. And that's not, hey, by the way, that's not a humble brag, that's a dad brag, okay? I'm just gonna own it for what it is, all right? I'm proud of it. We were under ban, we had some kids sick because of strep and everything, and we still won our tournament tournament. It's enough of that. I just thought you guys wanted to know. But we won our soccer tournament. Uh, and it was awesome. Uh, still celebrate. But I remember when I was coaching Alex when he first started. He was little, like I don't know, three or four years old. I can't remember how old he was. But he had never played soccer before. None of the kids on the team had ever played soccer before. So they all showed up and they had their brand new soccer balls and brand new cleats and shin guards and all that stuff. And they were excited to play. And I'm just kind of introducing myself and trying to get to know the kids at first. And this one little boy, he stood up, because they were all sitting down, but he stood up and he had his 
brand new soccer ball with him and he held it. He said, coach, look what I can do. And he just starts dribbling the ball on the hard ground, you know, hard dirt ground. And I'm like, well, buddy, that's great. But in soccer, we use our feet. You know, we don't use our hands. He said, but look at this. And he, he did it again. He just kept, kept dribbling. He was dribbling pretty well for, you know, a four-year-old or however old he was. And I said, no, 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 that's not how you play soccer. And he looked at me and said, well, that's how I play soccer. Just very serious. And so I had to teach him, no, no, we don't use our hands. We use our feet. Come to find out, he had an older brother who played basketball. He had seen his older brother dribble a basketball and he had the sports mixed up. Now, it's not just that this kid wasn't following the rules of soccer, he was actually playing the wrong game. And sometimes, that's what happens to us in life. See, it's not that we're just not following the rules right. So we're playing the wrong game altogether. What's happening is, we're playing the game where we want to have status at the end, or possessions, wealth, we want to get attention. We want power or prestige or authority. You name it. We're playing a game to get those things. And we're playing the wrong game. And here's the thing. We may get those things in the end. But what good is winning if you're playing the wrong game? Because the whole point of life is not to get those things. The whole point of life is to have a relationship with Jesus Christ and spend eternity with him. The whole point of life is to do life with him. So what good is it if you get the attention or you get the fame or you get the possessions or you, you get the big house and the big bank account and all that, but you die without Jesus? You may have won the game that you were playing, but you lost the ultimate game of life. And Ananias and Sapphira, they were playing the wrong game. They wanted attention. So let me ask you, what's the goal of the game that you're playing? What are you trying to get out of life? What game are you playing? Because God, I think, does what he does in this passage because he knows hypocrisy, it is always a momentum killer. How many times have you talked to somebody, you've invited them to church, and they'll say, I don't wanna go to church, there's a bunch of hypocrites. Now, I get it, church people aren't perfect and we don't claim to be perfect here and if you're looking for a perfect church or a church full of perfect people, you need to go somewhere else, I'll just tell you right now. I know church growth people would tell me not to say that, but listen, we're not perfect, we mess up all the time, but we do strive to be like Jesus. And when we claim to wanna be like Jesus, but then we aren't intentional about it, <laughs> the world sees that and hypocrisy kills the momentum of God's people. And God takes personal offense at that. Look at what Peter says to Ananias. How could you do a thing like this? You weren't lying to us, but to God. Did you catch what Peter's saying here? It's not just that you were, hit, you were hurting the church. It's not just you were hurting the momentum of some organization or group, even your friends. You were hurting God. You were offending God. You were lying to him. Here's a principle that we need to emphasize. Guys, when you attack the church, you attack God. When you try to hurt the church or gossip about the church, you ridicule the church, you try to cause drama in the church for whatever reason, God takes that personal. You know why? 
because Jesus calls the church his bride. And here, personally, when it comes to me, when it comes to Chad, when you talk about me, I can take that. I may not like it, but I can take it. You talk about my wife, though, and I will go to her defense immediately. You don't talk about my bride. And here's the thing. The Bible also talks about the church being the family of God, the children of God. You can talk about me, but you talk about my kids, I'm going to defend my kids. I love my kids. I love my bride. Jesus loves his bride. God loves his children. And when you attack the church, God takes that personal. God will not tolerate people intentionally trying to hurt his church. Now, I'm not saying that if you see a problem in the church that you can't try to help out a church. But again, what's your motivation? See, I talk to people sometimes and I'll invite them to come to church or whatever and they'll say, I don't wanna go to church because I was burned years ago and I don't wanna go back. And I get it, church hurt really does hurt. In fact, I'm not sure if there's a worse kind of hurt than church hurt. And sometimes churches do bad things. I'll admit that. But sometimes what people call getting burned is actually them playing the wrong game. They came to church with certain expectations. They wanted attention. They wanted their needs met. They wanted some type of power or authority in that church. They wanted everybody to agree with their opinions and their agendas. And they came and they didn't get that. And they got mad because they were playing the wrong game. And the church was never going to give them what they were seeking because that's not why the church was established in the first place. That's why motives matter. And people today think that they can badmouth the church and they can gossip about the church and they can attack the church and nothing's gonna happen to them. God notices, notices it when it happens because God sees us as his children. Jesus sees us as his bride. And what's interesting is, after all this happens, and God defends, he protects the momentum of his church. Look at how the passage ends. It says, no one else dared join them, even though they were highly regarded by the people. No one else dared join the church, even though they were highly regarded by the people. Nevertheless, more and more men and women believed in the Lord and were added to their number. It sounds like a contradiction, doesn't it? No one else joined them, but more and more people came and believed in the Lord and were added to their number. Is it a contradiction? Nope. What's the Bible saying here? Nobody with motives like Ananias and Sapphira dared join the church anymore. But those who wanted to live for something bigger, those who were fully invested in God's plan, those who wanted to live for what was eternal, those who wanted to live for something outside of what they saw around them, those individuals flocked to the church. They were sold out to the mission of the church and the church continued to grow because those who had the wrong motives, those who were like Ananias and Sapphira, they stayed away from the church so the church's momentum wasn't affected. But those who believed in the mission came and continued to build upon that momentum. Over the past year, we've been experiencing phenomenal growth and we had some church growth experts tell us back a year ago, this is not the right time to do an unstoppable initiative because people are kind of you know, scared and there's a lot of uncertainty and blah, 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 blah. And we just kind of said, no, we believe God wants us to be the best church that we can be in this season. And we've experienced 
the growth that we've experienced, I believe, because we're a church that is sold out to the mission of Jesus. We've had a lot of new people come and be part of our mission and join, partner with us in this mission that God has given us. And I want you to meet one of those families today. We sat down with Ryan and Tara Cox just the other day, and here's their story. We've been at First Church for the past six months. We were invited by a friend, and we loved it from the get-go. Our kids love it, our eight-year-old especially loves it. All the stuff going on in First Kids. Guest services, I feel like they knew our name within weeks. Um, and we also made it a point to start serving because we know how important that is. We are serving in the uh, guest service role, um, doing the greeting at the front door. Um, like she said, it was very inviting the first time that we came here. And just seeing people welcome us, you know, our, our children, they bring friends and, you know, they, they don't mind coming and they want to come back as well. And, you know, it's it just bringing more and more children here. So. Yeah, I feel like when we walk through the doors, people know our names, we know people's names, we feel welcomed. I joined a Bible study for the first time. I've never done a Bible study. It's so fun. This church is really multi-generational and I didn't know that I wanted or needed that and I'm loving it. I'm loving the different ages in the Bible study is so fun because everyone has wisdom to share. And so that's really, that's really been something new. There were times early on when we, I would call us baby Christians, where, I mean, we threw $40 in the tithe and, and prayed that it would come back. But, you know, now we know that God can do more with what we give Him than we could ever do on our own, do by ourselves. And so I don't know how we would make it without giving because we know God can do so much more with it than we ever could. Yeah, it's something that we've seen just bless our lives more than anything that we could ever imagine. And just be able to see what God does with that and be able to provide, you know, it's just amazing to see what he could do. So, I mean, it was just something that we knew after that, it was something that we were gonna always be able to do, wanna do. Just in the six months we've been here, we've seen the growth, like seen the new families come in. So we plan on making a unstoppable commitment because we know what giving has um, done in our lives and we encourage others to do so because we just know he can do so much more than we could do on our own. And this is our church home. We see our future here and we want to be a part of it and we want to see it grow and just grow roots here too. You know, just make sure that this is, this is our home church. You know, this is where we go. And, and we wanna be here for a long time, so we want this to be the foundation. We are Ryan and Tara Cox. And we're excited to commit to Unstoppable and see where it goes. Yeah, you can clap for that. God cares more about our hearts than just doing a good deed here and there along the way. What I love about First Church is that we're a church that has a heart for God and his mission to change the world. We invite you to be part of the momentum that has brought us to this moment in history because we believe we're here to let God use, use us to change the world. Would you pray with me? Father, I thank you so much for today and this opportunity we've had to open up your word and to study it. And I just pray, Father, that we would not let the momentum that has brought us here die with us, but that, Father, we would be those who listen to you 
and build upon what has brought us to this point. In the name of Jesus, I pray, amen.